where is that? Where is the under the willingness to see sports as a microcosm? Not even a microcosm because it's it's within built within every other institutions just as um, just like sports, you know, built within our society. And so the issues that we see on the outside absolutely affect what we see on the inside. We're going to go out on the field. We're going to score as many goals as we can. We're going to have fun. Oh, Becky, oh, well placed. Come on, Jake. Come on, Jake. It has been my pleasure and my honor to represent you all. A couple decades ago, in Northern Virginia, there was no writing her name down anywhere to get registered or being handed a jersey. Michelle Staggers was just kind of born into a team. We actually lived with my cousins. They have nine kids right now. We have eight. That's 17 children. Three plus basketball teams, a full soccer team. As an only child, I can't even begin to try to understand what that was like. Not everybody was born back then. <laughs> okay, but still. It was just a, a full, loving household. Um, our dads were really close with one another and they went to work. And so my mom and my aunt, um, you know, they just provided a space where it was all about activities, like <laughs> partially so that, you know, we weren't kind of tearing up the house but no we were just really active um we were involved in sports um so just imagine it was almost like there was a daycare um at the house that I was just growing up in and that's just you know the way that um you know God had intended it that all of us black little kids we, we played everything we went to the park you know we loved to jog we would do 5k's um when they came to our community we were really involved in our dad's loved coaching um my dad has this thing for basketball he didn't even play like I, I don't know where it comes um but he just uh loves the sport and always used it as a means to ministry and my uncle played it my uncle actually did play in college um so you know everyone that was older than me was a boy <laughs> I feel like this is kind of common for mm -hmm. a lot of girls you're growing up in, in a household and there's a lot of older boys and so they play sports, they play basketball, they played football, we go to their games, and it's like, all right, I'm going to do that too, so. A tale as old as time. Young girl gets involved in sports and then gets really, really good at sports because she was just doing what her older brothers did at first. And sports, as you heard Michelle hint at, and as so many of us know from firsthand experience, was a great teacher. We were encouraged to work hard um in our sports but also just in life in general we were encouraged to be um you know to have a winning mentality to in everything we put our hands to to compete and to do our best um we were encouraged to um be have good um sportsmanship like to be a good teammate what does it mean to win or to lose but to always have a good attitude and keep your head up so like in every kind of nuanced way sports was how we learned about life and I think essentially it became my life like I um when I was in middle school I 
for some reason, I was in seventh grade and I was like, yep, I'm going to go play. I'm going to play basketball in college. Like <laughs> that thinking was already there. I, um, you know, I, I don't think it was just particular to my household, but it was encouraged so much that I get home from school, like do two hours of dribbling, do some shooting, do my homework, go to practice. Basketball was a sport that Michelle really latched on to. Clearly, there was an interest there, a history in her family. But something else happened. Right. And lacrosse became your sport. She had played rec league lacrosse growing up, but it fell to the wayside in middle school when her family moved to Richmond. Fewer opportunities at that age meant her focus shifted to basketball and dance, actually. But then going into her freshman year, a family friend approached her about a lax travel team in the area, Michelle reunited with the sport. It took off from there. I think everyone kind of has this moment, or every athlete, I don't want to generalize, but a good portion of us, you know, we play rec sports and yada yada, but then when we pick an elite team, the game just shifts completely. Like our understanding, the skill level, you know, we just exponentially takes you to a new level and that's what happened that summer like it was just exponential growth I was learning the x and o's of the game in a way I had never been taught before I was devoted to um, just hours of skill work and just really honing in on my fundamentals and so that season um, it changed the the course for me um, because it set me on a foundation in which um, I was able to excel in this sport in a way I never would have been able to. Yes, lacrosse did take off for Michelle from there, but it wasn't in a reckless rocket ship way that ever really made her depart from a larger perspective and sense of values. I don't even know if I ever like loved a sport. Like I, I liked, I don't, that's weird to say, but I, I liked basketball. I worked hard in it. I was, I got better at it. I liked lacrosse, but as far as, like, a love, like, die, eat, breathe, this sport, mm-hmm. I don't think I ever had that. Um, I remember, you know, being really fast. Like, if you're fast at lacrosse, that's kind of half the game. Right now. So, <laughs> so I would just pick up the ball and, like, zoom past all the other girls and score a goal, and I would score, like, five goals a game without faster than everyone, not because I really had skill. So, you know, in something that you're good at, I think it automatically breeds an appreciation for it. And I think that's what happened in lacrosse early on. Being on a travel team now, being dedicated, being fast, Michelle was set up well to play at a high level in college. In the, on those elite teams, uh, the coaches were college coaches. They have connections. You know, you kind of, you pay for it, but but you join those organizations with in hopes of, um that you're going to get the connections. And so um, network, like, uh, yeah, networking and just recruiting was pushed and it is pushed in those settings. She committed to play lacrosse at Duke University in North Carolina. All right, now let's ground ourselves in a little more context here before diving into Michelle's collegiate lax experience. This is where I take my sip of water because I have a lot to say. I wrote a paper on this. I'm not going to bore you with the details of that paper, but just a little little summary. Um, she's from Virginia. It's the Mid-Atlantic, a.k.a. the sizzling hotbed of American lacrosse. 
Out of the 98 finalists in the 49 men's division one lax championships that have ever been contested, schools from Maryland and Virginia have made up 46 of those. It's almost half. The dominance is pretty identical over on the women's side. Of the 76 finalists in the 38 women's division one lax championships, 32 of those have been from Maryland or Virginia. So, all right. So every lax has a culture. Every sport has a culture. But American lacrosse culture, the history, traditions, and stereotypes of which were really developed and perpetuated a lot in this mecca of lax region, uh, it's, it's all pretty exclusionary. Kind of a preppy, East Coast, rich kid sport. I know they're trying to depart from that, kind of break down that. But those of us that maybe aren't that familiar with lacrosse, that might be one of our first impressions. Um, it's not super accessible. Uh, it's, it's got many of the same elements as tennis, actually, if we think of um, kind of a country club sport in, in a way except we didn't learn tennis from Native Americans and then take their land and slaughter them. So big difference there. But part and parcel with those elitists and settler colonialists, to use a liberal arts uh, fancy class term there, part and parcel with those elitists and settler colonialists undertones, lax is not very diverse. Um Just 3% of NCAA women's lacrosse players identify as black. So I lay this out in getting more into Michelle's story. We have a couple of forces at play here. Not a lot of black folks in lacrosse. That's the fact of the matter. But this isn't an area of the country where people talking about lax and putting their kids in lax and taking pride in the colleges in the area for lax is as standard, as expected, as brushing your teeth. Young Michelle was a black girl. Young Michelle was also a lacrosse player in Virginia in a family that just loves sports. So how is she seeing herself? How critical and woke of an eye was she able to see herself? So it's hard for me, I guess, to answer this question in hindsight, because Mm -hmm. I'm aware now. So everything that I perceive about my childhood and just what I've gone through in this sport is through a different lens. So as best as I can answer this, (laughs) uh, I'm going to say no, I wasn't aware. And now I have the knowledge to know why. But back then, I mean, if I'm honest, like I... I loved my life. I loved sports. I, you know, my coaches inspired me. I loved my teammates. Um, You know, there was nothing negative about my experience that I would have been able to perceive because I was treated like everyone else. I, you know, was given the same opportunities more or less. And um, it gave me joy. Like, so, um, yeah, growing up, there wasn't a space. Well, again, I know this now. There, there isn't a space for really recognizing difference in races or ethnicities in such a setting. And then I think, as you're saying, you know, it's it's amplified, um, or I guess more layered when your entire coaching staff or 
all your teammates are white and so why would they bring it up like Mm -hmm. why why would that be a necessary thing to Mm -hmm. mention Mm -hmm. and then I also think just that perception that sports can kind of be its own fear its own arena outside of society and so you know we don't have to talk about real life things because you're just coming to practice and you know you're just we're just here to play I think that attitude or mentality um that is just now starting to like um be dis disbanded or whatever um influences how many of us grow up in that sphere you know so mm-hmm. we wouldn't see it either um as far as like when the oh <laughs> quote awakening i have a feeling it was probably at duke right that's when oh my higher gosh. higher education has a way of uh opening your your eyes to things that maybe they were closed to before it does and it's just so sad like i wish it it didn't take that long because i think at that age um it just hurts so much more um it's kind of like Santa Claus, right? So, you know, you kind of grow up believing that Santa Claus is real and like everyone tells you it's real. So why wouldn't you think it's real? And there's even movies to prove it and there's books and everything. So, you know, there there would be no way for you to know that this isn't real. But, you know, at some age you realize that everything was just a lie. And I think that you know, maybe you grew up knowing this was a fictional character, like, it wouldn't cause such a, I don't know, I, I personally didn't have a affinity for Santa Claus. But <laughs> just trying to draw that analogy, like, you know, when the lie carries on for so long, like, it just has the ability to do so much more damage when you do find out. And so, you know, it, it hurts me that, you know, it had to be college where so many things my eyes were opened and unfortunately that's that's the narrative for a lot of us um and particularly athletes so michelle becomes a student athlete at one of the most prestigious academic and athletic institutions in the country you know i think the lord is intentional about his timing i think if i had come into college um you know already kind of having my guard up or being really skeptical um I wouldn't have been able to really take on some of the opportunities or see them as great opportunities. Opportunities in the classroom and in a social capacity that allowed Michelle to develop a fuller view of herself and create community around different parts of her identity and things she was passionate about. As I'm taking African studies classes and African-American history classes, um, as I'm just now kind of finding my footing. I think something important to note is that during this time, I befriended other black female student athletes. Um, To this day, they're some of my really good friends. So one's on the women's basketball team and another is on the track team. And I think it's just by the grace of God that we found each other and we started to build community. Um, All three of us are Christian and that was something that was really important to us. Um, So we, not only could we identify with each other you know, in our common experience as black women, but just in our faith. And that community, like, changed the game for me. All of this 
came together, contributed to bringing new awareness to her black identity in general and her black identity in lacrosse. Michelle says this process for her unfolded in small increments, but she did highlight a moment that was certainly anything but small. Junior year, uh, I specifically remember an incident where the Virginia Tech women's lacrosse team, they posted a tweet and it went viral of them. They were on the bus. Uh, It was like a, they were having a victory dance song, whatever, screaming. Um, Because I guess they had won. And they were singing the Chris Mound song with the N-word in it. Mm. So they doubted it. And uh, basically, you know how cancel culture is. So it was like, expose them. And tweet went viral and everything. And, um, you know, I don't know how many of my teammates were going to see it. So I got a screen cap uh, recording of the video. And um, I sent it to my teammates. And I was like this hurt so bad, um, tried to explain, you know, the meaning of that word. And I was like, you know, as your teammate, you know, I really hope that this is never our team. Like, um, I think the fact that Virginia Tech was an ACC team um, and um, D1 and just, you know, Virginia Tech is a program that's just like ours. And when I watched that video, I felt like, I could have easily been on that bus. And I think that's what hurt the most, just knowing, like, the culture I was in, the sport I was in. You know, I was just very much part of this. Um, And I felt helpless. Um, It's not like there was anyone in the athletic department I could turn to to talk about my experience, um, how isolating sometimes it was. And... Um, I think that that is a moment I'll never forget where, you know, again, it was just my friends that were there that could really support me um, through that time. It was a painful collision between her athlete self and those core tenants of Michelle that were bigger than sport. During her time at Duke, peering into and uncovering and ultimately finding ways to support and enrich the Black athlete experience off the field became near and dear to her. And, you know, I'll just add this here because I think it's a testament to how impressive she is as a human. Michelle kind of balled out at Duke. We're talking a four-year starter on defense. She was named a semifinalist for the Arthur Ashe Jr. Sports Scholar Award twice. So heading into her senior lack season, she's working hard to balance all her interests and talents. Mentally, like I was ready to um, be done. And um, I think that had to do with a couple of reasons. I was dealing with a lot of concussions throughout my career. Mm. And so for a couple of seasons, I wasn't fully, uh, I guess, capable of performing to my best of the ability and you know concussions a lot come with that you know just depression and anxiety and um a constant fear I don't know if a lot of black athletes come in with this mentality but like I was there equally as much for the academics and I think Duke um if you pick Duke you kind of I think in a way as an athlete, 
you kind of understand that too. And personally, I had I hadn't wanted to be a professional athlete. Um, I did kind of grow up um, just with a lot of different interests and talents and things. And so those were things that I was looking to cultivate. Um, so yeah, so when, when we talk about putting my brand on the line, you know, I don't, I don't know about that. Her brain did end up making it out all right when she finally did hang up the cleats. That last season, it was more than I think what happened on the lacrosse field. There were a lot of times in which I felt very split. I was dedicated to my sport and I wanted to win a championship. Um, That's why we trained. That's why we practiced. That's why you gave it all you had. Um, That's why we worked so hard at that sport. You know, it was, it was for that championship. And at the same time, I knew that I could always give more to my sport, but I couldn't because I had a life. I had developed a life outside of my sport. And I always felt kind of at odds with myself, like knowing how much I work for the sport, knowing the hours that it takes to be great and wanting to give that to the sport. And yet knowing for my own sanity, for my own sense of worth, for my own, you know, just security, I couldn't, I couldn't give that to the Mm. sport more. Um, I, I was working on a thesis. I was, you know, um, it, and that was a full long, a full year project. And I cared just as much about that piece of writing that I developed, which was about black athletes. Um, and I was running a black student athlete group and I cared about building that community and fighting for change within the athletic department. And so even in ways in which they still were about sports, there was advocacy work and just other things that, you know, had my heart just as much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I remember feeling that way senior year. Mm-hmm. And it's in a way, it's kind of how you'd hope a lot of athletes would feel their senior year. Just this sense of one foot in, yes, and that one foot is firmly in, but also mm-hmm. one foot out. and Because it's this recognition that there is something coming to an end that there is a lot, you know, in your future to think mm-hmm. about. And it's hard to hold um, those things at the same time. You mentioned a feeling of being at odds with yourself, but I do think the other positive side of that is that it, there's some, there's some logic, there's some sense there to, uh, you know, if we can find that balance between giving ourselves to something while also thinking giving ourselves to something in the present while also thinking about how we can prepare ourselves for the future. We should try to strike that balance. Absolutely. I just think that the fact that it's reinforced that you should give everything to Mm -hmm. your sport, it's so hard for you to accept that that should be the norm, at least while you're there. Um, Because you're absolutely right. You know, every athlete should kind of be in that, gray area of of giving it all and at the same time knowing that their life is more than that um but when there's no one else in your corner um especially if your corner is just coaches and um staff and just whoever trainers that tell you that you know you kind of feel guilty in a way that you shouldn't have to but I think if your corner is built 
with professors, mentors, friends, and coaches, and all of that, you know, a full circle, full village, um, then, then yeah, you'll be more encouraged. In thinking about where her heart and mind were when she finished up her time as a student athlete, Michelle, one year out of college, has found herself in a pretty perfect role. I've been um, teaching, actually. She's an educator, a ninth grade history teacher at a boarding school where she's also a coach. I went back to um, the school I graduated from, so halfway through high school, I transferred to a private school, and um, it's near Charlottesville, Virginia, so that's the school I graduated from, and I'm back there, and some of my siblings actually are there now with kind of the same opportunities that I had, so it's been exciting. That's um, so, wait, so you're teaching at a school that your siblings are also? That my, yeah, yeah. That is so of, cute. There was three of them there <laughs> last year. One was a senior, one was a sophomore, one was a freshman. And more recently, no surprise here. Michelle has been very involved in the athlete side of the Black Lives Matter movement. Life after sport, life beyond sport, life via opportunities in sport. It's activism work she feels emboldened and primed to do. Two things, I think, one, it's selfishly motivated. Um, You know, as a young Black woman, you go through things and you hope that no one else has to ever experience that. So whatever it takes... Um, whether it's using your voice platform, whether it's creating, you know, programs or groups that have never existed before, just kind of that whatever it takes mentality that this never has to damage um, another young black girl again, then I think that's what it kind of stems from. So A, I think personal experience um, and then B, just um, my my Christ-centered love for people and that I don't really live this life just for me, you know, or um, seeking out for making sure I'm good, you know. So if if people are hurting, if there's pain and suffering in the world, then, you know, um, I, I'm not going to sit back and, and do nothing. Um, so, you know, as, as long as I'm alive and breathing and as long as I'm, I've been given opportunities and... Um, you know, things that can help people, um, not in any type of like savior mentality, but just, you know, I, I understand that I have a responsibility, um, with just my, my opportunities from, from young to, to college, um, and the platforms that I have to make sure that, um, you know, I'm, I can, I can love on people and just, just be there, you know? And in signing off from our run-along interview, I asked Michelle to drop some things to think about as we, individuals, as members of teams and members of schools, push to be anti-racist. Well, first, sports institutions um, have to recognize that they are racist in order to start working to be anti-racist because it's been since the beginning, you know, of, of integrating sports, everything's kind of been brushed under the rug, um, or masked, you know, masked as far as the true reason why there's inequality, you know, and it's for every other problem in our society, you know, money or 
or opportunity, you know, whatever the, the reason, the new reason they come up with, but it has never been race. Um, and so we don't recognize from, you know, from professional leagues all the way up into youth leagues, there is no recognition of what race has to do with sports. Um, so first, you know, where is that? Where is the under the willingness to see sports as a microcosm, not even a microcosm because it's it's within built within every other institutions just as um, just like sports, you know, built within our society. And so the issues that we see on the outside absolutely affect what we see on the inside. Um, and that mentality of separating um, black athletes from separating black athletes so that they will disassociate from the black community hurts. It's so problematic, you know, um, there's a couple reasons, you know, one is especially for black male athletes, you know, they can kind of be put on this pedestal, um, looked in the limelight and appreciated and loved by the majority and, you know, you make enough money and you start to think you're above these issues. And so, whereas, you know, you're kind of the person that has the biggest platform, you're not doing anything because you don't see how it affects you anymore. You know, mm -hmm. you made it and you kind of wipe your hands off. And um, I think that hurts, again, just a, a disassociating, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like OJ, you know, I'm not black, I'm, I'm OJ. And it's like, from the top, you know, we need those black athletes to be members, um, to to fight for for solidarity um, in a very much fragmented um, people, and so um, yeah, that that definitely that definitely stems from from again just the top and and also the money. Like sports is a business. And as long as this is a business, it will always be money over people. Um, and that's how that's how a business functions. So anytime that, you know, players want to protest, anytime they want to speak up and it hurts the brand, not that the, um, you know, particular commissioner or, or authority figure is saying that that protest wasn't warranted, right? It's not saying that it wasn't legitimate, that that player wasn't unjust, or that something unjust didn't happen. But when you start playing with the money, <laughs> when that protest now affects the brand, when that protest now affects the uh, consumer base, right? Now you can't you can't do that, right? Um, and as long as money is a priority over people, we're always going to have these issues. And so um, I'm grateful as so many that this revival of the Black Lives Matter movement is turning the narrative. Um, it's, it's turning, shifting the paradigm so that we are adjusting to a new norm in which everyone, you know, the, the policymakers, to the players, to the coaches, to the authority figures, to the audience members, 
will understand that and and um, allow for race to be seen inside of sports and to want to fix racial injustice. And so if business, if quote, the business model is now moving in a way in which we can make fixing these issues part of the built into the structure, then we are looking at systemic change. Mm So I feel compelled to be active right now because if the tide is turning, you know, who doesn't want to be a part of that and trying to get so many younger black athletes to see it now um, because that means that that next youth program I coach at, you know, after we practice, we hold a seminar, you know, and talk about, you know, race and justice inside of the sport and talk to the kids about their experience. You know, if 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 this is going to be, um, you know, uh, change, then it's it'll happen everywhere on every level and everybody's got to play a part. Thank you to Michelle for coming on to the podcast and thank you for listening. I encourage everyone to go check out Michelle's Instagram at Mish All Day, where there's some great content around the history of racial justice and sport and the role of black athletes and the role of all of us in creating anti-racist sporting environments. And finally, just a little update from me. I will be heading off to Chicago to start grad school at Northwestern. Um, I will be releasing new run-along episodes, but they will be spaced out more because school is my priority. So I hope to see you next time, whenever that next time is. I'll be sure to update everyone.